Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome everyone to House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me as always is Eddie Guevara. And tonight, again, we have our special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, the mystery, Chuck Caputo. Chuck, oh, what's boy. up, brother? Hey, not too much. It's fantastic being here. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Definitely, definitely happy to to have you back. And the all of our, our fans and everybody out in podcast land seems to uh, like you on here. So what uh, me and Eddie are going to do is we're going to pack up. We're going to leave the house and leave everything to you. And you uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we'll just collect the we'll just collect the interest as we're sitting on a beach <laughs> sipping coladas or something. <laughs> hey, definitely. We're just going to I'm already packed up and out the door, man. That's it. Eddie, what's new over at House of the Unusual? Um, tell you what, man. One of the newest things is, is kind of like um, not just new. It just blew my mind is the, when we talk about the legendary Chuck Caputo, I didn't realize how much of a legend he really was. It's, it's, in fact, it's more detailed than I thought. Um, I was talking to David Harvestad about a day or two ago, and we're talking about the, because, you know, as we know, Chuck has joined the force here, and Chuck has now got his own magic line coming out and, and all this stuff soon. And, well, I was looking up a few things on how to get one of the projects he just recently did, which is one of the best tricks ever. Uh, you know, manufactured and stuff. And uh, the fact that Dave has a couple of uh, trademarks to his name of famous companies, I was contemplating using maybe one of his or, or you know, just for the manufacturing of the magics. Now, I, I, I don't know how it was that David finds a magazine from about two years ago and he sends me a picture and it's got an article and lo and behold, the magazine or book, whichever it was, uh, it's called Yankee something has uh, Chuck Caputo inside. Oh, I'm familiar with that. That's the Yankee magic collector. It's up in, uh, I believe, Boston, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I have a quick question to ask you. Do you have a copy of that magazine, Chuck? I do. I have it in one of my bookshelves. Uh, I'd have to look for it. But yes, I do, as a matter of fact. huh? Because I need to get that article. That article is phenomenal. And the thing that blew me away is, you know, Chuck has decided to uh, not only being the person he is, uh, I guess as a person just beyond real, you know, he's uh, like they say, bigger than life. Um, he decided to let me hold on to a couple of his uh, magic possessions. And one of them are um, a couple of days ago, I was uh, reading an article. Well, actually, I, there were, I seen an, um, a, 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 a kind of a show. It's called Oddities or there was a show. On television, I think it's still on, by the way, but it's called Obscura. Absolutely. And and the the show itself had an, uh, a, a page of the weirdest things and stuff out there. And there was a link to a video from John, am I pronounced John Guzman or something like that? The the older guy that owns the... Um, oh, yes, I believe dumb... I believe so, yeah. What's his name? Uh, you know what? I can't remember, but it, it possibly might have been John. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, well, anyway, well, the guy, he's uh, he's got one um, one device or one particular puppet that was invented by uh, uh, Robert Houdin, the, the Houdini took his name from back in 1840-something. And anyway, the second part of the show showed a, a chess player, which anybody who's ever written, I'm not written, who's ever read a book about either automatons, robots, or magic, has got to have heard about the chess player, the the Turkish chess player that they invented in 17, I think it was 1740-something or 1760-something that supposedly took on a lot of famous people, and this chess player won. There's been over 800 books written on the subject, and as much as three movies have been made on it, uh, and, you know, and to this day, we really don't know how the chess player worked due to the fact that the original burned down in the 1850s in a museum fire. Now, what I found phenomenal, which it happens with Chuck all the time, when you said the name, a man of mystery, that, you know, that not only entitles a title, but a truth in reality. And I'll, the reason I'm saying that is because 
Chuck, lo and behold, and, and this is the third time he does it. When he first <laughs> uh, spoke with me back in January 15th, he sends me an email and says, oh, uh, I see you're selling the book on how to make the Leon Haunted House. I had made one several years ago. He sends me the, which is right now is the only video on the Internet of the subject of anybody actually doing a display with the great Leon Haunted House. Then, and lo and behold, uh, I'm talking another a week later. I'm reading about the Josephine skull and all this stuff. And I go, hey, Chuck, did you? He goes, oh, uh, you know, he sends me a video link, which was funny. It actually happened before I even spoke with him. He must already, you know, through his telep telepathy, uh, read my mind over, <laughs> over the air. And uh, he sends me the link to the one he had made. So I'm like, I'm just reading about the skull about two or three days ago. And here, Chuck had already done one and he had performed with it. So then I had the, the other thing that blows my mind is I, I, I send him a link to the Turkish player. And he says, well, Eddie, um, a year ago, I made one, a tabletop one. Here it is. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've decided, I said, Chuck, all that stuff that's been coincidental, whatever, being the man of mystery that you are, I need it for you to, to you know, somehow get them in my hands. And we worked out. And you know what? That's exactly what's happening. Now, the reason I asked you for that article is because I noticed that the, the, the Turkish chess player appears in that 19 or 2019 or 18 mm -hmm. magazine, Yankee Magician. Right. Um, anyway, I, I've been going on eBay trying to find it. I'm glad you have a copy because Dave has a copy. And, uh, you know, I, I need to get it from either or of you guys to really, you know, either scan the, the article out. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know, if I have the magazine or not, but I need the article scanned and I need it scanned at a very high resolution because that's going to add providence to the actual device you're sending me. Right, right. And, and I thought it was phenomenal. So, yeah, so the man of mystery continues. Now, one question I have for you, Chuck, how are you able to mentally read my mind before I even think of things and get them done? I don't know, Eddie. It, it is, is kind of strange. <laughs> I don't understand it. But the, you know what? I love to read, you know, and I and I read about antique magic props. You know, I, you know, such as the Josephy talking skull. The, the the Turk was invented by by an Austrian, uh, a uh, like an inventor. I wouldn't say he's a magician, but his last name was von Kemplin. And uh, this thing, this thing toured the world. And uh, you know what? It beats uh, this this uh, chess player beat people like Ben Franklin. He beat um, you know other other well known people at uh, chess actually. You know and. Uh, no one really knows how it works, but this thing was life size, and the, the the cabinet that it sat on, they would open up one door at a time. They would open one door, close it, open the other door to show that it was empty. Uh, one major theory is that there was an individual in there uh, that uh, that was he was an he was like an amputee. Uh, he didn't he didn't have any legs, and and he was a master chess player. And so when they opened one door up, he'd be on the opposite side. When they closed it, there was a rack or a sliding tray type thing he would slide over to the other side and he would he would work the turk's uh, arm with certain levers and so forth and there was some type of a viewing device where he can see what the moves were and uh he he beat just about everybody he played i mean it was it was it was really amazing people didn't know how this thing worked and like i said he beat ben franklin i believe he played napoleon and there's a few other well very well-known individuals that were that were very upset that they lost to him actually <laughs> Well, my, my question, now that you said about, you know, you talked about that, the guy who has spent, uh, this guy, John, I think his name is John. I'm actually looking, right. uh, trying, to, trying to find um, yeah, his, his information. Yeah, his name is John Gahan, I think you're talking about. Yeah, yeah John, that's him. Right. That's him to you. I don't have to look anymore. Thanks again. Again, you read my mind <laughs> and you figure, let me get it before he does. That guy, John, he said he spent over 35 years making what he believes to be the original. Mm -hmm. And he's duplicated everything possible on it. Um, that is, it's, it's just amazing. Now, what really surprises me when you, right now you blew my mind when you said that, uh, the little guy, uh, mm -hmm. Napoleon played with him and that's phenomenal. And they never found out exactly how it worked. No. There was no, they just have speculation. Now I know you made one of those, but I have a question. Have you ever considered trying to make a copy of uh, Antonio? What's the name of the book? Wow, that would be rough. Yeah, that was by Robert Houdin. It was Antonio 
Antonio Diavolo. And he was a he was a gymnast, basically. He was a trapeze artist. And it was all watch work. It was just unbelievable. I mean, if you do search this, there there is a few uh, people who did uh, reproduce these. Uh, I I believe there's one or two people who did, and uh, it's just amazing. I mean, this this uh, this little guy, this little man, he puts on a trapeze and he swings it back and forth, and uh, the guy would hang by his arms, he'd hang by one arm, he'd flip over, and he'd hang by his feet. I mean, it was all watch work. It was just unbelievable. And uh, you know, from and from my understanding, John somehow came about the the original one, and he restored. Shocked at what he found inside. I mean, I mean, like the advanced technology with the watch work was just unbelievable. See, see, Roberto Dan was a master watchmaker. Okay, and uh, so things that he made were all watch work. Uh, uh, but this, but this is probably one of the most complex pieces he ever made. Well, yeah, but you answer the question right there by being a. Uh... Uh, you know, being able to do watches and stuff. That's how he was able to right. do that, the balance. Exactly. Uh, I mean, what John, this guy John said, according to what he said, is that the original one, somehow, I forgot where it is, it, it landed in some museum or something, and one of the persons who inherited it was one of the founders of, uh, uh, not Fox Television, um, Warner Brothers okay. Television. And I think when the guy passed away or something like that, they donated or gave it to the Magic Castle. Mm -hmm. And that's where this guy, John, got it from. Now, he said he got it in pieces. And it took him about seven years to restore it to its original, you know, whatever. Right. Now, he's got it where it actually works. I mean, he's he had it on the, the, the skid there, how, you know, it does the trapeze and stuff. And I'm like, wow, man. In fact, you know what it reminded me of, guys? It reminded me of you. Have, you guys ever seen when we were little? They had that. Um, I think it was a fireman or something that climbs the right. ladder, and then, yeah, and then yeah. it would come back down. But there was also one that it was a big ladder and it was like a wooden toy, <clears throat> and and you would put on top of the ladder, uh, you would put I think it was like a little monkey or something, and it would start spinning down and go down the <laughs> ladder. Uh, you know which uh, toy I'm talking about? I believe about? so. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, you know, and I, it also reminded me of, you remember those little things that had like a little gorilla and you squeeze the two uh, knobs on the side and it would do acrobats? Oh, that was cool. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what that, I mean, I have a few of those actually, but, you know, the impossible to me is kind of like, I look at it as a challenge. If it's impossible, I'm going to try to do it. And I asked you that because I kind of found it strange that you didn't tackle that, Chuck, because you built so many other things. And um, I think, honestly, to be honest with you, it's something that's tempting to try it. Uh, I mean, if we, I'm sure that if we look online or something, there will be some uh, way of, of, you know, some blueprints of how it really worked, or I'm sure it's not a magical secret, because I know David said to me, that it kind of see there's two things in my mind right now that are bothering me big time one is the how that device works and i know david said with strings and stuff i don't think there were strings there because uh i think it's more like watch work oh stuff, absolutely yeah i think the, i think the, the whole thing was watch work and even even the trapeze was a metal rod eddie i think at different parts pistons would actually pop out of the out of the trapeze and they would activate uh you know like different levers uh, you know, uh, control points in his arms, in his, in, you know, in his hands when he was gripping it. So I think there's, I think there's, there's in the trapeze bar itself and in the uh, little figure also. So there's two things going on there. Well, I mean, the, the whole thing is that we're looking at the 1840s. This guy built this in 1840. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. That he had the it's crazy. But the thing that also, and it's funny because ever since then, now I'm all of a sudden interested in Robert Houdin, which I've never really <laughs> cared for before, you know? But um, <laughs> the thing that really, really throws me on that is that here it is. It does all those acrobats and all this stuff. And it really, really blew me away when it actually both hands went up oh, in the amazing. air. And, you know, I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me? You know, I'm looking at that. But then again, the other one is, I think we're talking with Thurston. The magician Thurston, where he had the lady float all over the audience. Mm -hmm. I started thinking I need to do some research on that because, you know, I, I have a, a, oh gosh, I got hundreds of magic books that probably have the explanations for the, a lot of those things. 
One of the magic books I have, you might be familiar with it. Um, I think it shows Thurston in the front cover. It's like a 500-page book. And I bought it because I liked the front cover as a kid. I bought it in New York City in an old magic shop in Times Square, probably in 1975. And the book itself, I guess at that time, must have cost me like $19, which my parents bought it. I was surprised. <laughs> but um, it's a 500-page book, and it shows it's got a black cover, and it shows this guy like electric sparks coming out of his hands, and there's a floating woman in front of him. Are you familiar with the magic book? Yeah, I believe about? I am. Yes, yes, I do know what you mean. Yep. Yeah. I have a feeling that book inside would have an explanation how that how that works. I need to find mine because I have no idea where it is. But that particular book, I think, has it because I remember as a kid, I mean, you're talking about a 10, 11-year-old yeah. kid. How the heck am I going to read a book with college level? <laughs> That's true, right? I just looked at it. I think I read like two or three pages, was, and that was it. I couldn't. Yeah. But I've had it. I've had it with me. Gosh, uh, 40, 50 wow. years almost. You know. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Robert Herdan was amazing. I mean, he was way ahead of his time, Eddie. You know, and uh, there, you know, th there was no, uh, you know, uh, small uh, uh, motors to put into things at that time. You know, there were there was no electronics, so to speak, of it, and you know, in that time era. I mean, they came along much later. So yeah, he used all all watch works. Uh, one other item he made is called the pastry chef. And if you search this, I believe John Gauham also either had the original and he rebuilt it or actually made a duplicate of it. I was always fascinated by that. As a matter of fact, I kind of started one of these, but I never finished it. So sometime down the line, I may try to replicate, a, you know, a, you know, like a version of it. it. It won't be the exact same one, but it's a really neat one. If you if you do search this, you can find it. It's called the it's called the pastry chef. What it is is what it is. It's a beautiful bakery, like a French pastry bakery, and uh, so basically, there's a little chef that comes out the front door, you know, with a tray on his hand, and and he has like a a menu, and it has uh, maybe like five or six different types of pastries for the spectator to choose. So, so the spectator will basically circle one of the pastries and place it on the tray, and the chef will nod his head and take it back inside the 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 the, uh, the bakery itself. And when he's in there, you can uh, you can see him at the table uh, with a rolling pin, like rolling out the dough and so forth. And then uh, within a minute or so, he he pops back out the door and he has the pastry that you circled on his tray. Uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful beautiful effect, and I and I have the framework for it. I actually built built the uh, bakery and I have a few of the components uh, but I did never finish it so that would probably be the next thing that I would attempt to build if it's even possible you know I'm sure I'm sure you'll accomplish it you know something I want to tell you Chuck and, and Joe I was looking the uh, the other night when I was interested there's a museum for Robert Houdin it's in Bl Blios I have no idea where that is but I think it's, it's in France, France that's right? correct is that when you get next to it, like snakes come out of the window? Uh, who knows? That would be cool to visit it, though, because uh, see, that's where he that's where he lived in Blue Hawk, France, and um, and that's where his, his burial site is. He has a beautiful he has a beautiful burial site. If you if you Google it, like you'll see his tombstone. It's fantastic. But yeah, that's uh, well, that's where his theater was also. Okay, there there is. I don't know if that's maybe where the museum is. It's inside the theater, but there is. When you get to the museum, when you stand in front of the building, on the top, there's an actual video that has it on YouTube. Um, I should put the link to, to this at the end of the show, too. But it shows that there's a total, like, it looks like, I don't know, it looks like some type of giant octopus is coming oh, out the okay. windows. And the, and the windows open up and they actually start coming out and moving. Uh, it's really phenomenal. I was like, what the <laughs> heck is that, you know, but... But you could see it. It's actually on YouTube. And, and you know, like I said, I'm going to put the link um, for it because, you know, it's 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 something that I, I personally think it, it would be Absolutely. worth to, for the people to see it. But it, it's really and, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm trying to actually see right now if I could, um, you know, copy that link and, and, and which I'm actually doing right now. And. Uh, Okay, yeah, actually, and, and sending it to you guys because you, you yeah, guys that would be, be that would be cool. You know, you know, one strange fact about Robert Houdin, I think, as far as I've, as far as I read, I, I'm not positive on this, but I believe he only performed for eight years professionally. I think he he opened his theater, he performed to packed houses. I believe only for eight years, and then he went into retirement. And um, 
and he had a nice little estate there and he was working on uh, different types of inventions for the rest of his life and um but as far as i remember you'd have to talk to dave about this but i think i read he only performed for eight years believe it or not and it was he was he was uh, pretty well up there when he started performing i mean he was not a young man when he started performing professionally uh now yeah but my question to you is this though if, if when you're saying when he started performing professionally is there a possibility was he more like a magician or he had props that worked like clockwork you know yeah i, really I think it was a combination of both you know i think he performed a lot of magic effects also you know one of which was a was a acopia uh, he was well known for he would show it empty and then he would produce a bunch of flowers from it and so forth yeah so he did uh he did the uh, suspensions uh, like he made one of his sons float uh, at that time. I two sons. One one was probably maybe 12 or 13 years old at the time when he was performing professionally. So he'd 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 uh, he'd uh, make him levitate and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he was quite the magician also. It's just that he would he would he would pepper some of his, uh, you know, some of his uh, creations into the magic show itself. So, yeah, he did. He did some fantastic magic also. He was very inventive with, with his magic. And, uh, you know, he actually created a lot of, uh, uh, you know, like certain magic effects as well. What what made him, um, what do they call him, the father of modern day magic? Yeah, because yeah, like you know what, like, uh, you know, like I said, in one of the past broadcasts, uh, podcasts, you know what, he, he took magic in from the streets, okay, you know, like back in those days, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, you know, like street performers and so forth, uh, you know, you know, like dressed up as jesters. He was the first person to actually take magic into a classic theater. I mean, it was very, very beautiful. Uh, I think uh, Joe was talking about like he was, he was trying to imagine, you know, like going back in time to like a theater with the jet streams, you know, with the gas lights and so forth. Oh, yeah. uh, that's exactly what he used was, was the gas lighting you know what it was a very very uh classy type of an atmosphere and he was the first to actually wear like a tuxedo you know so yeah that's why he's called the father of, of uh, modern magic and when dave was on there a few times ago for uh, for one of the podcasts we had talked about how uh, how, how uh, uh the great houdini came up with a book in 1908 the unmasking of Robert houdin and he turned against them and he basically claimed that houdin did not build these things that he had he had a friend of him uh, build these effects which 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 that's very very doubtful because like people that knew uh, robert houdin were very uh they were they were uh you know pretty much aware of his his genius well i, I could see the uh, yeah the, it's called a dragon less dragons Masion de la oh, Valle, okay. which i think is that's apparently i think it was his theater and it was converted i was just looking real quick over here so i was uh and it shows a dragon literally comes out of the window. Now, it definitely has to be some type of mechanical because it actually looks like a big giant oh, sure. hand yeah. or somebody coming out. But it has Robert Houdin's statue right in front of the mm -hmm. entrance. There's a couple of videos on it. I sent yeah, you guys I'll have to a check those. Yeah, I have to check those out. Oh, but 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 there is no. Then I also noticed that there is another one which I don't know if this is his. But it's a woman playing a piano, and it's it has something Robert Houdin on it. I think it's like, a, you know, it's not that big, but it's it works with again clockwork. It has like a music box mm -hmm. underneath her dress, and she plays the piano. They're all these automatons where automatons that mm -hmm. work on. Uh, well, this one says here the girl says it was created in 1772, wow. so I think there was a lot of technology back then. Uh, to make things move and work, and they worked in the principle of those little music right. boxes, you know. And I didn't realize how much of that was done back in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm right now kind of like thrown back by all this stuff, and and now again, this makes my because uh, it's all like wound up, and I think it just makes my <sighs> my curiosity. Well, exactly. But then my brain just keep flowing over now because now I'm <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> in, in, in all this automatons, this I tell you crazy. what, Eddie. I was always interested. You know, I was always very interested in, uh, you know, watch work, uh, electronics. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you know the uh, the automatons as well. You know, and I've and I've read most of the books uh, that do detail a lot of these things. And you know what? I'm not formally trained with electronics or anything. I was the kind of kid 
there was a tinkerer. I mean, I would take things apart. I mean, and I would, I'd, I'd study how they worked and so forth. And when my wife and I got married almost 29 years ago, I would take apart RC cars and, and they work on two channels, channel 27 and channel 49, which are, which are common frequencies. So they do get the interference quite a bit. Uh, but then I migrated years ago to like the, uh, to the key fob type of things, you know, which are, they're, they're basically encoded where there's no interference and so forth. But I mean, but the things I do, I just basically trial and error. It's just a lot of, it's just, it's just a lot of persistence, a lot of hard work and so forth. Uh, but I've incorporated a lot of these things throughout the years with, you know, uh, 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 with my magic shows, obviously. So it worked out very well. And I've, I've sold a lot of my effects to different magicians and so forth. I'm very thankful that it did. It did take off. And it's a lot of fun for me to build these things because it's, uh, it's actually a therapy, you know, like kind of like therapeutic, I guess, uh, you know, it, like I said, I've always been interested in things of that nature. Even uh, robotics is a fascinating, fascinating field. Well, well, the thing that really kind of I find interesting, the fact is also I was just noticing a lot of the facts. Most of the stuff in the 1700s were done in, in France. I guess the French had a lead. It seems that way. It seems so. Autons. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, because I noticed a lot of them are from like the same era. Now, I got to be honest, man. All this stuff is just not only fascinating, but it, it gets me back to the fact what the same thing you did. What I used to do was take apart those robots that okay. they sold in those Chinese uh, stands sure. around New York. When you went downtown New York City in the 70s, they always had those battery operated robots. Um, and I used to, <laughs> I took apart one or two of them in trying to build my own, but it's just fascinating. Oh, it is. Those things work. But the thing is that there's more fascinating though, is that the, this is where I'm like, how the heck, when you do clockwork stuff, when you do things that are, um, you're talking about stuff that, that, you know, from the 1700s, what blows my mind is how did they manage to do the precision of those things. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. You know? I mean, that's crazy. Okay, so you're gonna make the hand move slightly. Uh, you gotta have like a lot of know-how on that, man. It's, it really it's is. Really it's crazy. fascinating. And there's a lot of different things of that nature out there, Eddie. There was a, a writing automaton years ago, but I believe that was in a maybe like in a museum. I think in Philadelphia, and it burned down years. It it actually burned up in the museum. There's a big fire, but that was really I, cool. I am aware of that. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I, I see any time I read books on, and I have no kidding, probably every book ever written on robots in wow. the 1970s. I have about maybe 47 different books. Um, I have the one from, the, I think his last name is like mm -hmm. Hersherman right. or something like that. That was one, it's how to create, how to build your own radio control robot, how to build your own robot pet. Uh, a couple of them and I purchased them. In, in fact, I remember when I first went to purchase the first one, I couldn't find it anywhere because mm -hmm. it was out of print. And there was this little bookstore next to my house that you would go in and the owner just went on and on until she finally <laughs> got it for me. Um, but I, like I said, I, you know, I went on. Now, of course, on eBay, you can you find can. a million other books, but, you know, before eBay, we talked. But now, Chuck, here's another thing that really kind of surprised me about you too. I'm looking for the information on that Yankee magic magazine. And when I put Chuck magician magic, I found not only Murphy magic, but there's another something magic company. There's quite a few tricks out there that have yeah. your name on it that you, I guess, made. Uh, one of them is like some type of a box. It looks like a wooden box. Um, I know they're selling it for $300. Um, and it says the Chuck Caputo, um, Gosh, what was it called? I don't remember the name of something box. Uh, I guess you. Yeah, those. I think what you're talking about would be the uh, snake in the in the box, like a snake basket, or I think. The... No, 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 not the snake basket. This is other one. Okay, it's got your name. Okay, on. yeah, because you know what, I I did give the rights. I sold the rights to Jimmy King from Mac Magic about eight, maybe nine years ago for for a, like an electronic snake basket, but they altered it to make it like an elephant in the in a trunk also where the where the trunk is inside and it goes up and down and it finds the selected playing card. Uh, so basically I had supplied them with a working prototype, you know, and so we worked out a deal. Yeah, so so they carried that. And then throughout the years, you know, I've built different things and I I I wholesale them to, you know, you know, to different magic companies. Uh, 
Hocus Pocus in California. Uh, I, I can't think of there was there were several other ones that carried a lot of my things also. Yeah, and I see you also had uh, books. You put out a couple of books. Yeah, you know what? Books. Way back. This one here, yeah, it's been about magic? 19, 20 years. You know what? I, I basically sold uh, uh, electronic magic for the average Joe is, is what I called it. And it was volume. So after I wrote the first one, I figured, well, I have a lot more ideas. So I wrote volume two, three, and I think it went to four. And I even came up with a spooky uh a version where like it tells how to build a spooky type of electronic magic and that came out in the early 2000s maybe 2003 2004 you know and they and they sold very well i mean throughout the whole world and everything and so basically i just explained and i and i draw the i, I drew the pictures just what i was telling you about taking apart or dissecting the rc cars and uh so yeah that worked out that worked out very well each each booklet was about 35 pages and I can draw pretty good. I went to art school when I was a kid, so I I basically did all the illustrations. Well, there is the the magic trick I'm talking about is called Horizon. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. By Chuck Caputo, and it's sold by Martin Magic Collection. I forgot all about that. Okay. Two hundred and ninety-five dollars for that. And then there's another one here called Electronic Close-Up Case by Chuck. Okay, I forgot about that. And it has like a clock, and you also apparently did some stop time ghost uh, right, clock right. as well. <laughs> it's got your name on the thing here. It's all <laughs> over the internet. I'm very yeah, surprised. I forgot all about that. Yeah, the 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 uh, Horizon was a was a, a a block trick. It was a it was a beautiful wooden box you open up, and there's four different square blocks like uh, rectangular blocks. They're numbered one to four. And so you could be out of the room or whatever, and a spectator can take out, you know, whichever block or blocks they want, and they could close the lid. When you come in, you know, without touching the box, you can still discern what numbered blocks were taken from the from the box itself. But yeah, yeah, that was at least fifteen, you know, like at least fifteen years ago. That's why I forgot all about it. <laughs> yeah, I was also looking at your. I saw a page of Facebook where uh, you have no beard or anything. You got that long <laughs> hair. Uh, it reminded me of oh, Trick on man. Demand, kind of from the 1970s. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it it's crazy. You gotta so look at this. Not only is Chuck Caputo a man of mystery, but he's so mysterious, he doesn't even know his own self. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about all. I forgot all about you know, that stuff. Yeah, I do remember the hair though. I had long. I had long. You know what? I'm Italian, and I had very long, uh, wiry hair. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, I think I think I got hair that's waving now. It's uh, waving goodbye a little bit. You know, I'm 57 years old. But <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a video of you uh, demonstrating Mac Magic, and I mean, you're you're all over the internet. I, no wonder. You know, I was kind of blown by the fact. See, I put last night another video. I don't I don't know what the um, the amount of uh, hits on it, but the one that you did is already over 4,500. Wow. Uh, with the demonstration, I think okay. the unboxing you did, and and then we had one which is the um, I did I, I think it's a tour of the I call it the House of the Unusual Cave or, okay. or Man Cave, and <laughs> and it, it you know whatever so it was getting quite a few hits but I put um, hashtag of course after Joe here uh, threw the the wrench at me. And say, hey Eddie, you know, I think you're uh, you're doing it all wrong. When you put a hashtag, I didn't realize you got to keep all the words to together. And I was putting them separate, so I was really when I put Chuck, it was actually pointing out oh. to a thing called Chuck. Uh, you know, not to to like our site and stuff. Well, look at this. The as of last night, 19 hours ago, the main video called Hidden Treasures. House of the Unusual takes you on a tour into the unknown. Hashtag Chuck Caputo Magic. It's at 397 wow. views in 19 hours. So I think I think we found the, uh, and I actually use for the thumbnail, I use one of the original Robert Houdin posters. The one that it says he's in the um, Devil's Castle or something castle. You know which one I'm talking about? It has like yeah, I believe so. Uh-huh. It's a really nice, nice poster. In fact, I got to definitely put that in our collection so we can yeah. sell that. It's a That's really, a really nice poster. poster. 
It's phenomenal. And now, according to the unboxing, Chuck Caputo video is right now at uh, 4,230 wow. views. It's really very interesting. Joe, you've been quiet, Joe. What's up, brother? Come on in, Joe. No, I'm just I'm listening to all the... Uh... I'm listening to the discussion here. I'm like, you know, on the, uh, you, you know, one of the audience members kind of just all kind of sucking up all the information and everything about the, uh, especially about the automatrons. Cause I didn't know too much about the Turk and Eddie was telling me about it the other day. And, um, it, it kind of caused me to really look into some, you know, kind of like where did magic start in some ancient magic. And I found out that it, it kind of came you know, in around, you know, I guess a lot of researchers and all that have found that, you know, it might have started in Egypt, maybe around 2700 yep. BC. And, you know, with what was it, maybe like, uh, what was it, like a ball trick or something like that, Chuck? Are you familiar with yeah, cups with and how balls it might have started? Around that time, you know, like where the magician would hide a ball under a cup and it would travel from one cup to the other or would jump from it would jump from underneath the cup okay. to his pocket. Yeah, but you, you know what? You're exactly right. I like the way you guys do your uh, research. Eddie's a very good detective. He brought up stuff that I completely forgot about. Wow. That was. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah. I tell you what, it was it was really kind of it was really interesting to because, you know, I, I I've always been interested in you know kind of like you know medieval times and you had the the court gestures jesters and all that who who did their, um, you know who did their their comedy act and all that. But I'm wondering, you know, how much magic was, you know, because they they always wanted the comedy to make them laugh, but did did. Anybody like during the the medieval times or dark ages, you know these rulers? Did they want you know magic tricks or anything well, like I'll that? Tell you, I'll tell of... you what. Let's back up a little bit before the dark ages. Uh, you know what? Like during the Greek and Roman Empire, okay, uh, particularly the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of these buildings that were that were built. You know, these fantastic buildings, and uh, uh, you know what? Basically, they mm -hmm. were they were designed to actually scare scare the people that come in. Uh, you, you know, like this, it was it was designed in such a clever way that once the sunlight comes in at a certain time of the day, it would it would give the appearance that that a statue would be floating and uh, things of that nature. So it would actually scare the people who came, who, uh, came in. And so wow. they would actually give money. OK, like they would they would, you know, you know, pay the uh, God or gods so they wouldn't get harmed and so forth. Yeah. So if you do if you if you do some research on that, yeah, it was actually used by very, very clever uh, Roman, uh, you know, uh, designers of, of these buildings were, were it, you know, once the sun came in, it would illuminate certain parts of the room. It would make objects look like they're floating. Uh, people would roll stone balls up on the inside the ceiling to make it sound like thunder. I mean, it would like literally scare the heck out of these people, you know. So, yeah. So, you know what? So uh, magic was used actually to actually instill fear and actually collect money from people, too. <laughs> well, now, now it seems like a lot of the lot of even in the the uh, you know BC times that there was a lot of you know I guess the, the European area at the time you know you had uh, Egypt you had That's Roman right. Greek they all had you know That's some right. form of of magic going on so you know what is it generally. I guess accepted that magic originated in. I, I would Egypt? say so. Yeah, uh, you know what? Yeah, I would. I would assume so because we're talking, you know, five thousand BC there. If you if you if you uh, if you trace the lineage, uh, yeah, I would. I would say so. You know, uh, but mm -hmm. then again, there was Chinese magicians as well. I mean, so all across the world, they all had some form of magic that they did. You know. And uh, you know what? It's a it's a fascinating history if you do look into it, which which I see you are, you know. And uh, you know, uh, yeah, but like I said, even going up right. to the Greek and Roman days, I mean, it, you know, it was amazing. Uh, but then, but then up into the uh, you know up into the Dark Ages, I think everything everything fell apart there. But uh... right, and I I like to study a lot of like you know pagan and, and witchcraft uh, histories and all that, and I've seen that magic was incorporated with a, a lot of that too. And a lot of like the, uh, the occult studies and the, um, the different orders that, that people would join. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, it, it's kind of thinking, you know, is that where a lot of our myths and legends might have come from? Like you said, you know, the, um, 
you would walk into a building and it would look like you know a yep. god was was floating or something and you know people would pay their homage so was that you know i wonder if you know some of that was incorporated into the myths because you know still at that time a lot of stuff was still word of mouth so if it was passed down and that's where some of the pagan and witchcraft you know and and other esoteric Absolutely. practices came from was mm-hmm. you know these actual these magic you know or these illusionary me, you know uh, let me say type something events. real quick there it's when you know you were talking about building of, of buildings and stuff coral castle in florida is one of those where i guess when people put things like that and they hide it from the rest of the public how it's done the mystery grows bigger oh than my life. goodness uh, when you got a 100 pound yeah. guy, I forgot Chuck. You know the story there, and he built this um, castle. That it's just, it's right, right absolutely up. phenomenal. I mean, you know what? If anybody, if any of the listeners have a chance to go to Coral Castle, it's it's in uh, it's in Homestead, Florida. You know what? Uh, my wife and I last year around this time, my uh, my my birthday is January 25th. So last January 25th, on my birthday, we were in Coral Castle, and I've been fascinated. You know what? I've been fascinated by this place, Joe, for 40 years. Since 1980, I used to watch a TV show called In Search Of. It was hosted by uh, Leonard Nimoy, who was Spock from oh, yeah. Star Trek. And one of the stories he had was about yep. Coral Castle. So there's so there's a guy. He was about 98 pounds. His name was Edward Leedskannon. And he was a Latvian uh, person who came from Latvia. And uh, he bought this slab of land that everybody made fun of. It was just bedrock. And he cut and hoisted up these big gigantic you know stones that range from nine tons to 30 tons he built a castle he carved a rocking a bunch of rocking chairs uh the front door is perfectly balanced where a little child can move it with open the door with her hand it's just it's just unbelievable nobody knows even modern engineers have no idea how this little man built it uh i mean i mean there is speculation of course like up, up in his workshop he has hoists he has he has come alongs and things of that nature, but I don't care how, I don't care what type of hoist you have or whatever, you know, one man that weighs under a hundred pounds is not going to generate enough force to hoist, hoist up a 30 ton piece right, of coral. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. I also heard, I also heard story, you know, theories exactly. that he used, you know, sound you know, and harmonics to, yeah, but th- you know, that's to what happens. It's and, a mystery. So, so we don't know. They attach a lot of, which maybe you'll go, that's how he did it. But you know what, though? Things like that happen in, in what you're saying. That's what you reminded me of when you said back in the early centuries, you would get people building castles. And in fact, you know, this is kind of funny. I was watching prior to starting tonight a show in the, in the uh, Smithsonian Channel, uh, which is um, an American aristocrat showing, you know, castles in England and stuff. Some lady who married into one of the of the Duchess over there, whatever, and uh, not Duchess, but one of the, you know, I mean, the, the sure. aristocrat people sure. down there. And she inherited this castle, but she went to visit another castle that apparently the guy who owns the castle with his wife and a couple of children live in the castle. The castle has caught fire three times in the last uh, 800 years. And in 1975 was the last fire. And they were saying how they had to move to the basement. Where they, But the funny thing is he's got 50,000 wow. acres. And the bizarre thing with this and all the castle is that they have a castle that only a portion of the castle is open to tourists because the other portion is still like in disarray and under, you know, they're still trying to repair it. And the funny thing about it is they don't have no money to maintain the castle. And, you know, it's like uh, they have a, I think they say the largest archival uh, book section Mm -hmm. of England that goes back to the 13th century. And, um, they have books there. They said that sometimes a page alone will cost over $200 to preserve wow. just one page. So they have books there that can cost anywhere from three to $4,000 a book. And they put them on a list, to-do list, as to when they're going to be able to preserve them. And I was saying to myself, well, first of all, to, to live in an actual castle that, you know, everything from possible ghosts to whatever comes <laughs> with it, it's, you know, I got to hand it to them. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's true. They have all the original treasures there. And they were saying how in 1975, they lost a lot of the original treasures. But what I found it fascinating is when you see the people that actually live there and own it, they become more real when they're trying to finance things by raising funds 
Uh, you know right. what I'm saying? Sure. Just the repair of 1975 cost, I think, over what was it, eight million or something dollars, or and they were saying how they had to, like the guy said, he went to the roof, he would grab a piece of stone and carve in the the signature because he he holds like 30 different titles, the Duke of this, the Dutch, whatever, the Duke of whatever, you know, all these different titles. And he said that he would start selling parts of the castle <laughs> and they were able to raise enough to actually, you know, and then they, they reached out to the rest of England, who a lot of people, because of the fact that it's a symbol to their country, um, they raised the funds to fix it. But the thing is, it's still in, in repair. It's still being repaired sections. And it just made the people more real, you know, more down to earth. Like, you know what? They're real people. Now, this multi-millionaires who don't even have a dime. Right. To, you know what I mean? It just it made them more real. But I, I thought it was fascinating. A nice little show there. And I just mentioned it because we were talking about, you know, how you said back in the day they did such things. Uh, go ahead, Joe. We know your other part. <laughs> there's just i mean it's always finding something to, to to research and and think about i mean it's it's all always something and and you're in um were you speechless you know, for a second there <laughs> you know i'm trying to think there was something i, I was thinking i wanted to ask uh chuck last night and i i no, it's totally like left my head. And you know, I, I, once the podcast's over, I'll think no, about it. it. And it's something to do with. with I, ancient, I think you were um, talking about that. We were going to talk about the influences of what happened those magic during the old days. How would it have influenced us modern day people, magicians and stuff throughout the ages? Wasn't that the question? Yeah, but there was there was there was, there was something. Um, it was the um, oh, what do you call it? Mm-hmm. I guess the Hindu oh, rope that's trick. Right. You know what I, I I've always been been fascinated by that, and when I was you know kind of researching into the ancient um, magic and all of that, and I I ran across again the, the the Hindu rope trick, and I seen some some videos on YouTube of people trying to mm-hmm. you know people explaining you know how it's how it's done and all that. But um, can you give us a little bit more background on on the the, the Hindu rope trick? Because I guess it's it's Absolutely. one of the more popular Absolutely. ones that goes. You know back, what the Hindu rope, know, rope trick is a is a is a is a staple of magic, and there's been different performers who have performed this. Um, you know, basically what it is 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 a basket that you open up, and there's a large rope in there, and you throw it up in the air, and it sticks, it stands, so it stays straight. And you get a little boy assistant that helps you now, you know, so this originated in India, obviously. So, so, so the little boy is dressed in the Indian attire, you know, with baggy pants and a vest and so forth, almost like a genie. And he, he, he basically gets on the rope and he climbs all the way up and then a big puff of smoke appears and he just disappears and the rope van, uh, the rope drops back down into the basket. And uh, yeah, so, so there's been different versions of it, but they're really old. I mean, the, uh, uh, the things I've read about it, nobody really knows exactly what the methods were that some of these magicians used. So, yeah, that's a very mysterious trick. I mean, and it goes back many, many uh, years. I, yeah, I, have, I, I, I've read I some. Have a little, no, I have a little oh, go ahead, Eddie. Indian rope trick, and I'll, I'll tell you really quick what it is and what it was, if you don't mind, unless you want to. I got two seconds. You, go ahead. You talk first, Joe. Well, no, I, th- I think I'm going to add to what I, Chuck I, had to say. There's a book by Peter Lamont. It's called The Indian Rope Trick, The Rise of the Indian mm-hmm. Rope Trick. And it's entitled How a Spectacular Hoax Became mm-hmm. History. And now what it is, is that the Indian Rope Trick, even though magicians have tried to reproduce mm-hmm. it for ages and they've had right. their own versions, the actual uh, completed trick is when the Indi- when the kid goes up into the air, he disappears. And then supposedly the magician climbs the rope after him and then the pieces of the kid fall down to the floor. So in other words, he cuts him in pieces, the head, the arms. And then when it's all in pieces, the magician comes back down the rope. He covers the kid up and then lo and behold, the Mm -hmm. kid is all in one piece. Okay. Apparently the way I was reading that book with from Peter Lamont, which was put out, I think uh, back in, I don't know the exact time of publication. I'm actually holding the book. I have two copies of this book. Um, as I was reading it, it started when it back in the early centuries, when uh, some guy was uh, kind of like uh, 
P.T. Barnum. He was able to convince a bunch of people that were inside the... Now, this book was published in mm-hmm. 2004. Uh, he was able to convince a bunch of people that they had just experienced the Indian rope trick. And it was basically a hoax, but it, it throughout the ages, it became a legend. And this book really explains the origination mm-hmm. of the trick, how it was done, what cost the, all the magicians in the world to keep searching to try to do it. But it is like Chuck said, a, a it's probably the most uh, sought after, most mysterious trick in magic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of, um, you know, uh, old, uh, you know, paintings and all that of it. And it's usually somebody outside with, you know, the kid climbing up into a, a cloud or something. It always kind of amazed me. And it didn't seem like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, illusion and unexpected and unexplained stuff in, in magic. But, you know, if you're standing in a group of people and, you know, this kid's only going up, you know, 20 feet or something and disappearing in a cloud and the rope comes down, you know, there, there has to be something more to that. And in my mind is that there had to be something less to it because it, it didn't seem probable even – you know, through illusion or anything that, that this could be done with a group of, of people. I'm going to try to see if I can get a copy of the book to you guys, because I do have, like I said, two copies. And I'm going to tell you guys one thing about this. Um, I mean, this book is phenomenal. It, it really explained a lot. I started reading, having finished it. That's why I can't really put out much information. But I guess it teaches how a modern day, uh, not a charlatan, but uh a modern-day P.T. Barnum can convince the general population of, of a lot. In fact, if you guys haven't seen Penn and Teller travel to India in one of their episodes, it's like a two-hour episode, where they travel to India, stayed there for like three, four weeks in search right, of the right. Indian rope trick. Okay, and that was, a, I mean, I saw that. That was really, but at the end of the day, uh, actually the conclusion I think was, if I'm correct, I could be wrong in this, the conclusion was that it was a hoax, and, and apparently that somehow it rolled the You're exactly right. time and became, you know, reality. Um, and you know, having said that, not to change the conversation, but Chuck, I wanted to ask you concerning another magic trick that's uh, named to you. It's a piece of wood, and it has one, two, three on it, and it has like three little cups and three round wooden balls on top. One dark uh, wood, the other light wood, and the other one totally blue. You remember <laughs> that one? Well, I'm trying to think, Eddie. I, I, I actually don't. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, huh? It's a, it's, it's according. It's from. Uh, oh gosh, what is that? The same merch magic, whatever it is, and it's got your name on it. The Chuck Caputo, uh, whatever. Now I lost the the title to it, but uh, it's by a Martin Magic Collection. Okay, is 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 it is it and, three uh, is it three balls three round? Di- Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, yes, that's a version yes. of mento mento match is what I called it. Uh, the, uh, the 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 original version is called colorama, and uh, basically it's yes yeah, three different colored balls that are that are placed on on a little stand, and they're and uh, each of the balls are uh, placed in front of a number. There's a, there's you know, there's a number one, two, and three, and you turn your you basically tell the spectator to move the balls around wherever they want, and and without you even looking, you can tell you know what what the positioning of the balls are. It's a very clever principle. It's, it's not electronic, but it, uh, but it does take some thought. I mean, you have to have a clear mind to do this. And and the thing that's funny about this effect is I explained it like at different lectures, how to do this to like uh, different magicians and they still didn't understand it. Uh, it's actually, yeah, it's actually kind of difficult to learn. And I'd <laughs> say that even if you explain it to somebody, probably about 90% of the people will not comprehend it. It's a very unusual effect yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what i tell you what i tell you what chuck I, i've watched sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll you know dig down the rabbit hole of, of youtube and watch some of these uh these uh shows on how you know ma- it's like magic explained and all that we yeah. know they'll go through you know some of the they'll show you the trick and then they'll explain and i tell you what it is <laughs> I, I like sometimes I gotta smack my forehead. It's like sometimes it's so easy. Like when yeah. they explain it, it's you know the concept Absolutely. is so easy on on how it's it's done, and then 
and it just goes to show how easily you know we're tricked. But then you know they get into some of these uh, tricks or you know illusions or tricks, you know whatever you want to call them. Oh, and some of them are just so exactly. complicated and deal with you know math and different other stuff. And I'm like, oh, exactly. I'm like, how do people even think? I of think this? you have a good point there, <laughs> you know, uh, they, Joe, because I think the future of magic is high technology. I think it's high tech. I think we're getting into things of that nature i think that i think within the next five years or so we're going to see some really high-tech uh-huh. magic of course you don't uh display it i, I mean you, you don't display it as high-tech magic but, but i think when holograms come into play i think that's going to be the next move because these things are uh, these things are getting developed right it as is. we speak it is. yeah it is you know something guys let me tell you something it's sometimes what joe said made me laugh right now and i'll tell you why a year ago, I'm, I'm looking at YouTube and some young guy, magician, uh, he takes a plank of wood, like a two by four. I mean, he just did a frame. It's about six feet tall and two feet wide. And he stands in front of this wood and then he picks up. So he's standing behind the, the plank of wood. He picks up a, a, a curtain, brings it up, and then he puts the curtain down. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, he went through the solid piece of wood. It drove me nuts. I must have played it like 40 times. And I'm like, how the hell did he do this, man? And then all of a sudden, I called Dave. And I'm like, you know what, Dave, man? You got to help me out here, bro. Because it, it just drives me crazy when I couldn't know. That's why I right, was right. using the four fingers. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like that. And what Joe just said, that sometimes there was another. There's a trick. It's a, it's a card trick that it's on the computer. Mm-hmm. And you pick a card. And no matter what, the computer <laughs> always knows which card you pick. And that drove me nuts. I'm like, okay, I got this. How am I gonna how does this work? And again, Dave solved Absolutely. Me, you know, solved the problem for me. But some of those things, especially now yeah, with technology, definitely. drives you nuts. I, and and Joe B Yeah, yeah, I, I think too it's 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 you know, the future's technology, but I think that just like this is kind of like everything, you know, we've touched on it before everything comes around in circles and i think you know i don't ever think that um you know traditional magic right. i guess yep. for lack of a better term will, will ever go away but but, but you're going to start seeing yeah like you know like you said a lot more technology involved yeah, in it. and i don't know <laughs> if that'll be for the better or for the worse i guess you know, that'll be for you know future generations to tell us but you know in my my opinion, I, I right, you know, slight, some you know, of little old, so I, I prefer all stuff. the the old, you know, yeah, sleight of hand stuff, you know, the the horror stuff, and, and I, it, it's just cool, and, and and I do like to just like anybody else, you know, I'd like to be tricked, but I also like to learn about it, and it's not just for you know to kind of say, oh, now I know how it's done, but I, I, I kind of like to know, you know why it was done this way and, and are you right. are you tricking my my brain are you tricking my senses or is there some type of you know math to it that i don't know about so it's kind of like the learning process too and you know some of exactly. them i i sure i just don't want to learn because i just want to you know stay amazed to it. But I, you know i'm like eddie you know i i've watched <laughs> something a hundred times i'm like i gotta find out you know <laughs> how that. Oh, that was. But hey, that guys, great, we we've great had a great podcast. conversation oh, and some great points, and we're we're yeah we're we're at the end here. So I want to thank everybody out there for for joining us on House of the Unusual podcast. Uh, definitely head over to our YouTube channel. We've got some amazing videos by uh, Chuck Caputo on there, and you could also head back in time and check out some of our video casts as well. And while you're doing that. Check out houseoftheunusual.com. We've got a free email list there, a free forum. You know, sign up and you could stay up to date with, you know, what we're doing. Uh, You could give us some show ideas, meet some like-minded people. And we are just a growing community of of just individuals who who love this stuff, who love magic, horror, sci-fi, mail-order novelties. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you know, send us an email or... Um, let us know on one of the uh, the forums on on the webpage and tell us what you'd like to talk about and why you'd like to be on. We're always looking for for you know different types of discussions. So with that said, uh, Chuck, thank you, thanks thank for you stopping so much by for again. Me. It's I always a great it. conversation having you. 
Eddie, thank you for absolutely. Eddie, thank you for stopping by. Always full of information for everybody out there. And again, want to thank everybody for listening to us. Find us on your favorite uh, platform. Give us a a good review and support us any way possible, so that we could keep doing this and bringing you quality okay, thank you. Uh, discussions every Bye-bye. week. So thanks, Take guys. Care, guys. Talk to you soon.